Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, subscribe to us there, like, and all that good stuff. Uh, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. If there's a format that we're not on, let us know, and I'll try to get on it. Uh, but please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe subscribe to the show and write and review the show. That does help us out. We will read your review on the air. And if you, the next person to do that, will get a copy of the 4K Blu-ray of I Spit on Your Grave, which you can listen to our bonus episode on Patreon, patreon.com slash criticspod, the best way to help support the podcast. Uh, also there, you can listen to our bonus podcast about music. We've so far talked about nirvana metallica and the beatles uh we have some more in the pipeline coming uh so if you want to enjoy those patreon.com slash critics pod and then if you want our uh podcast merch head over to tpublic.com and search critics pod or go to ihatecritics.net click on the critics or the tpublic link in the right hand corner all right got through all that let's start our show <laughs> i feel like i do it slightly different every time yeah yeah, I feel like a robot when I'm doing it anyway. Uh, <laughs> not kind of a weird uh, week for movies, kind of a boring week yeah. for movies. Uh, but hopefully, this show, I, at least movies we've heard of, but uh, I think we'll have some interesting conversation. Let's go ahead and start with the shot through the wall. The shot through the wall stars uh, Kenny Liu as a, uh, a Chinese American police officer in New York City who is involved in a. Uh, foot chase. Uh, he and his partner are chasing after a guy uh, for dubious reasons. Uh, they end up chasing him into this apartment building, and when uh, when the officer Mike Tan pulls out his gun, it accidentally goes off and fires through a wall. Uh, it hits uh, an innocent bystander and kills him. Uh, and the rest of the movie is the fallout from that. Uh, this uh, accidental shooting. He didn't intend to do this, but he did this in an apartment building that happens to be predominantly African-American. And the young man he killed is an African-American young man who'd never been in any trouble. He was a good kid. He was a potentially uh, headed to college kind of kid. Like, you had a good track in front of him. Uh, and so that this is obviously fraught with numerous uh, racial issues. And the movie deals well enough with those. But I just don't know if there's a seriousness to this movie that that really is sustainable it's it's very it's highly melodramatic but it's taking on something that is very timely and of the moment and something that's on a lot of people's minds and so it, that 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 just kind of resists uh this type of melodrama melodramatic approach uh, the, the, there's an element here that feels like uh, a law and order episode where one of the law and order cops is dealing with having done something like this before right before they leave the show <laughs> that's like kind of how this feels uh there's just not a, uh, there's no gravitas to it. It's, it's lacking in so many different ways of making this feel more important and more serious. Uh, it, it's, like I said, entirely, for me, it was a kind of a surface-level approach. Uh, I did like the ending, which arrives in a sort of shocking, quick fashion. Uh, the movie's only 89 minutes long, so it moves along at a brisk pace. Uh, Kenny Liu is very compelling as, as an actor, and so there are good elements of this, and there's a good idea there, but I think just for me, the melodramatic cho choices, the 
uh, the trying to skirt the issues of race while also using those to try and underpin the drama of the story. It just came up short for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't get get to this one. Uh, you mentioned it's only eighty nine minutes. This just totally off subject. So, but wouldn't it be neat if all movies were the same length, but they just end, like when you're watching it, you you check the runtime to see how long it is, but they all end differently. So you just you're always, always like four hour window, but it could end at eighty nine minutes. You just never know what's going to come. <laughs> <laughs> just be kind of a. I mean, it'd be a lot of wasted money and wasted whatever it takes to have that black right. screen show up for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> it would make the audience experience better uh, yeah, I can see that most people tend not to check what the runtime is when they go in I just happen to notice this one well I, I, I notice I check every time but I think it's probably because yeah. that's part of how I decide what I'm going to watch for the week unless you send me a message that says hey this was really good and I can't sleep <laughs> <laughs> then I'm sure to check those out as well which we'll get to that in a little bit yeah uh, is this an american movie then or is it yeah yeah it's a uh, set in, it's all set in new york chinese american characters and it's a lot of you mean you mentioned you talk about being melodramatic is a lot of it just kind of i mean you kind of answered the question at surface level they never really get too deep is it a filmmaking issue a storytelling issue or just kind of a budget issue or it might be a both budget and kind of a storytelling issue. And I just think there's so many big ideas and so much of this is fraught with so much drama that there's just, uh, you need a, a wider scope. You need a, you need a much more, uh, well-known cast. I think nothing wrong with this cast. They're fine, but, uh, they, there's something lacking here in terms of somebody to really grab onto. Kenny Lou, like I said, is great. He certainly, uh, he certainly has uh, the chops to be a, a leading man. I guess it's just he. You walk into this not knowing most most of the faces in this movie, and that can tend to maybe that's just my bias towards movie stars. I don't know, but right. just <laughs> I, I I don't I didn't grab on to this character or any of the characters really, which could also just be a storytelling issue. Um, because again, it's just everything just feels like a television drama, and that's this needs a lot more than that. Considering the weight that you're bringing to this with all the race stuff, yeah, it just never really pulled you in all the way past the surface yeah. of the movie. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I can only imagine. Well, like if Spike Lee made a movie like this, you know, what I mean, like that would just just having Spike's name attached to it would make it deeper than it actually is, you know? Right, but it would still be. It's not like you just put his name on this exact movie. It would still be a Spike Lee. <laughs> right. You know, you'd have yeah. the style and everything that goes with it. Uh, Stop Zemlia. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Stop Lenzia is Zemlia is a uh, Ukrainian film. Uh, and it's about uh, a teenage girl who has these two friends. And uh, it's just basically observing her life. And uh, what makes this movie so interesting is that right now, uh, Ukraine is currently under threat by by the Russians. Uh, Vladimir Putin is threatening to uh, go into that country and take it back. And when you watch this movie, you see just how modern and relatable these teenagers are. They feel like teenagers down the street. Like Ukraine is a place where, it, it, at least on the surface from this movie, uh, they they seem very Americanized, very Westernized. Uh, the, they there's a lot of the similar situations that we have with teenagers here. There's a lot of fluid sexuality, open conversation about, about life and drugs and sex and all the stuff that, you know, normal 
American teenagers go through. And I'm sure that's the case in a lot of the world, but you just don't see Ukraine in this way because it's in the Eastern Bloc. It's in, you know, it's right there with where Russia's about to try and destroy it. And you, you kind of assume that this is sort of, I don't know, back in time somewhere where they're just not quite caught up and everybody's kind of in fear all the time. And that's not the case. These are these are everyday Ukrainian teenagers who are doing everything that your teenager in your home is doing right now. Like that's the that's what's so interesting and and kind of fascinating about this. It's very uh, slowly paced. And it just lets these characters develop in f- before your eyes and you kind of come to feel for them and identify with them. And I did feel for and identify these characters. And I do think this is a, a drama worthy of seeing. But I think what's happening in Ukraine right now is really adding a great deal to the, to my interest in this movie because it's taught me so much about who it is that we're fighting for. And like, yeah, we kind of do have to do this. We kind of do have to protect this because there's a lot of vulnerable people uh, there who don't deserve what Putin would likely do in, in Ukraine. Right. Yeah, that's I especially think of the LGBTQ stuff, because this is, again, this is a movie that kind of explores that that sort of uh, idea of the modern teenage sexuality and that sexual fluidity. And obviously, modern day Russia is not a place for that. Uh, they're not going to take kindly to that. And these people, these kids especially, would have a very hard time under that regime. Well, and you I mean, that's probably not part of this movie at all. But you think about those kids in Russia. <laughs> But yeah, you yeah, know, that are going through all this that you can't. They don't. They still really are get going to. through. Yeah, they're going through the exact same thing and trying to do so without having any of the freedoms that these kids have. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Is there any of that? You know, I know it wasn't probably. I guess it was always kind it, of a threat. But is that part of the it's movie really at all? It's really only on the edges of this movie. There's a couple of references to maybe the the older teenage boyfriend might. Uh, uh, might have to, you know, might consider going to the front to fight for his country. And he's, and he's, he, I think one of the characters has an older sibling who is on the border uh, fighting against Russia. So there's, there's, it's on the edges, but for the most part, we stay uh, right with these kids doing really just normal teenage stuff. You know, the main girl has a crush on a boy who's not really interested in her. He's more kind of caught up with this situation mother where they've a very fraught relationship that is kind of it's kind of weird and kind of fascinating uh and uh in a very typical way in very typical ways like it's not super creepy it's just kind of odd and offbeat and and that that's just the kind of stuff that you think is fully just american and it's not it's a fully you know and i know that's just kind of a silly perspective on my part just from not being exposed to this before and kind of trying to ignore you know, geopolitics and all that. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just never gave it much thought. Just how relatable the you know right. the world really can be, and you know this group of very <clears throat> very normal kids under this very uh, massive threat that they're vaguely aware of, but also just too busy doing their own thing to to spend much time on. Right. I mean, odd and offbeat describes teenagers in general, not just American yeah. teenagers. And this movie allows us to get there. Uh, I mean, I think that's just such an obvious point that maybe we just never think about it. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's kind of, and I, it, it sounds, sounds silly that movies can do that, you know, but it does open up your mind a little bit. That's, you know, for, I've never been out of the country, you know, I've barely been West of Iowa. I have been a little bit, but not much. So my culture is based on, you know, the pop culture I take in 
and it is always nice to take on you know look at different cultures especially mm-hmm. musically and uh music and however you whatever the word for movies are <laughs> what the yeah. oh, the adverb for movies uh all right let's move on to nocturna side a uh something about a old man i can't remember how the great old man's nights and side b where the elephants go to die yeah there's two different posters here for those watching on youtube they go good next to each other but i couldn't make that work (laughs) uh so this this is from a director gonzalo calzada uh, of argentina and it stars a man by the name of pepe soriano as the old man who is uh, 100 years old and uh, we're we're joining him on what is essentially the last day of his life. Uh, throughout, there are these little hints here and there. You're not never told necessarily this is the last day of his life. There are just these kind of visual and oral hints to that idea, one of which is a, a disembodied voice from a television talking about how on their last day on Earth, elephants can begin to see the dead and see their ancestors and go towards them and who knows how you can determine that by watching elephants, but apparently that's just something that somebody theorized about them. Or, and it doesn't really matter if that's true or not. The point is, is the whole point of that is to get to the old aphorism that elephants never forget. And this movie seems to posit the idea that all of your memories, you know, all these people who seem to be lost, you know, have lost their memory. Perhaps it's not necessarily lost. They're lost within those memories. They're lost within the, the their, their own mind where time has become this flat circle where everything is happening at once. And a memory comes back in such a visceral fashion that it, it evokes the emotions of that, good or bad. And suddenly you become wrapped up in that memory. And that, that can seem like somebody who is just lost because they're standing around having all of their memories at once come to them and then you shake them out of that like oh what sorry where was i what was i doing i can that is such a fascinating idea of memory loss or not necessarily memory loss i don't know what i don't know what i would call it if i didn't call it that but it's fascinating fascinating idea but then there's also this kind of aspect of you know that uh on the last day of his life he can see the dead and he begins to see these very strange things take place uh, one of which is a uh, this his apartment building where he and his wife live is being has been plagued by some recent break-ins. So when a large clattering happens outside his home on the patio, he thinks maybe somebody's trying to break in. Uh, moments later, there's a woman banging at the door of his apartment, and she wants in, and she gets very angry and belligerent. This is upstairs neighbor Elena. Uh, but what we come to find out is that the clattering on his patio was her jumping to her death. So how was she knocking on the door? Uh, and again, the idea is that on the last day of your life, you can begin to see the dead. And he's, of course, he's seeing that in a couple of different places. And that creates a sort of horror film aspect to the point where there's a line in this movie that shook me to my core. <laughs> like the reason I couldn't sleep is one line in this movie where one of the characters just is trying to pull off this kimono she's wearing and she goes, where is my skin? And fuck me. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, what? No, stop. Yeah, this movie is awesome. Uh, it's just I fucking love this. This is such a, a, a big idea movie. It's got so much amazing horror film imagery. That line I just mentioned comes with the image. It comes with an, an image that is, again, one of the scariest images I've seen in the movie 
in a long time. Uh, but then the other half of this side B gets even fucking scarier because that's taking place from the perspective of Elena and other ghosts within the apartment that that uh, our main character is seeing uh, inside A. Now we're on side B. We're on the side of the dead. And that that is just nothing but atonal music and horror film imagery from the opposite side of the movie. And man, is that amazing. Everything about this, though, I, I, this is my favorite movie of the year, and I, I just can't say enough good things. Yeah, even if you throw everything you said out the window and just looked at it on a technical level, it's like, how the hell do you think to make this movie? How do you write this movie? How do you edit this movie? How do you put it together like this? It is so smart. And, uh, you know, there's very few directors that I think, like. I mean, I don't know how you even come to this movie. You can almost just throw your scenes at a wall and hopefully they land. That's clearly not what he did because it does, by the time it ends, it all comes together properly. But it's just like a cluster, but a cluster that clearly was orchestrated properly, you know, Uh, and which makes it that much more impressive on a technical level for me. the acting, this Pepe Soriano is, you know, he really does. I don't, I mean, he makes you fear getting old. He makes you, yeah. uh, the whole thing is, I mean, I mean, he is amazing. He's kind of like, he could, if they made like a live action up, he'd be the perfect guy to play that role. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, it's like, it's an amazing movie. It's my favorite movie of the year, too. Granted, we're three weeks in, but it's going to be a tough one. It's going to probably stick around for most of the year. I'd imagine we're talking about it in December next year. Yeah, uh, I would say so. But it's also uh, not a movie I can just be like, hey, go check this out. You'll love it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Only certain f- friends who are into movies. And again, I'm not saying I'm better than them, but uh, this just is definitely not for everyone. My wife did like it, though. She was... Really? It, it was a... Uh, it's hard to ex- explain. So the way you told me about it was perfect. Just I can't. Sleep. I'm gonna have a hard time sleeping tonight. So <laughs> I had no expectations. I was just curious. Yeah. Uh, and so I, therefore, I couldn't give her expectations. And at first, she was like, "This isn't a horror movie," and it is. But on a traditional level, it's not. And that's what's kind right. of amazing about it. And we've talked about a lot of movies last year that used really over the last five years that have used kind of that horror imagery like Cretia was one movie we talked about where but it wasn't Absolutely. a horror movie but they the way it was filmed was like a horror movie this isn't that yeah. this is more than that uh probably the pinnacle of all those ideas you know filmmaking ideas into one uh i i mean it's that scene you talked about that shook you to your core was such an amazingly filmed scene i don't even know how they did it i mean it had to be editing tricks or whatever but it was so fluid i mean it was so perfect that at no point you felt like they really like she really could not take the kimono off you know (laughs) yeah Uh, you bought into it this movie sucks you in there's no surface level you know it sucks you in and you're just living this you're following this guy around and you're living his fears his his it's not even always fears. It's his concerns, his confusions. You're living everything he's living and with him. And it's not even about predicting this or that. It's just experiencing it with him as he experiences it. And as he starts to come out and realize where he's at, uh, it's kind of, I don't know for me, it was more of a, 
where you just kind of an acceptance of death, you know, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't scary anymore. It was just kind of like you almost relieved to be done, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that's what, one of the things that, that fascinates me about the relationship between he and his wife, which was deeply fraught with all sorts of issues to the point where that it fi- he finds it hard to remember some of the good things about their relationship that's been displaced by decades of utter and complete routine and boredom, just simple boredom and recrimination about oh, I'm so bored right now. Uh, the, the idea like you reach, you know, it's uh, Betty White reached a hundred, nearly reached a hundred years old, you know, like that. And she lived a great life and she lived every day, but not everybody gets that good thing. And what if it's, what if you're not getting the good hundred years? What if you're getting that hundred years where you've just been sitting in a room for the past decade, just kind of, I think I need to go to the store. I don't know. I don't want to miss my show. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh God, what a, what a just what a horror! And that's what's so that's what's so amazing too is this movie is willing. Unlike an American movie, the foreign films seem willing to linger in sadness and allow you to be in a place that is both sad and frightening. And, and pondering this, American movies, especially Hollywood movies, don't do that. Like they're gonna, they've got to come up with something that's gonna send you home happy. And uh, this is not a movie that's interested in sending you home happy. This is a movie that's interested in, in just exploring the idea of what it's like to to get old and to be <clears throat> seemingly forgotten by society and forgotten by the world. And you're just kind of, you just kind of don't die at a certain point. <laughs> it's like. Right. That's crazy to think about and terrifying to think about. But then you've got these other big ideas that are taking place, too. Like, I love the idea uh, about memories and memory loss being something where, again, I think it was and I looked this up. I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be more smart than I am. Uh, But Nietzsche had the idea about time as a flat circle and everything is happening. Deja vu is something that happens all the time because. You know, you're having a memory that is recurring to you on a, on a regular, on a loop, as if it's always happening. And life, you know, every aspect of your life is happening all at once. And sometimes if you turn just the right direction, you know, you see something like a broken mirror, it brings you back to when that mirror broke and how it broke. And then you remember what the, re- you know, the surrounding, what happened surrounding that. And suddenly you're lost that memory for three minutes and if somebody was in the room with you like what are they looking at like what does this he's clearly lost something like (laughs) because you're standing there experiencing that memory again and that can seem like somebody who's lost and confused or that's fascinating the idea that your memories could be come back to you in such a visceral fashion and you get lost in them and and somebody sees you do that what if that's what you know memory loss or alzheimer's is isn't that crazy to think oh yeah and I'm a person who, like, I mean, I try to be as closed off as possible, almost by a defense mechanism, I think. But, like, I don't really, I couldn't really tell you what my biggest fear is, you know. I maybe lazily would say spiders or something stupid like that. But, I mean, I'm always playing mind games to try to keep my mind sharp. And so that I think secretly, you know, going through what this guy goes through is something I don't want to ever do, you know. And it it's not something I think about a lot but i know i'm always trying to do things to avoid myself from struggling with my, you know my mental capacity <laughs> so uh this movie really brought a lot of that out uh it, i don't know it, it just really was it, it was an experience if i had to compare it to a movie 
And it's such an odd comparison, but it'd be like The Revenant, where I just felt like I was getting my ass kicked for hours. And then by the end, I'm just like, okay, it's over. Uh, it was an experience. I mean, but this is one that I'm more likely to go back to. I don't need, you know, that was a different kind of, you know, getting a different kind of beat down, I guess. This one was more of a mental one where it was just kind of. It was just an experience. I'll never be able to cap redo this experience because I've, I've seen it now and I know. But yeah. but it, it's definitely a great, uh, just a well made movie all around. If we go to side B, uh, I think this one it, it's still good, and your, everything you said is true. I don't. I think you get everything you need out of the first one, and this is just kind of more of a commentary on it. It's not necessary, but at the same time, it's impressive and really cool and a great a, a great compliment to the first one. The first one stands yeah. alone as its own movie. Uh, and Side B, I mean, I don't even know. It, it's, again, stylish, uh, a great idea. Uh, another, like, how, Tremendous, do you, how yeah. do you make this thing? Where do you, who wrote it? How do you, I mean, I don't know. Like, where did you begin? Where did you end? How, it's all that is just fantastic and interesting to me yeah the side b is is basically like an experiment can i tell this story from the opposite uh from the opposite perspective from the perspective of the dead what does the realm of the dead look like what is what does purgatory look like uh which is another idea that is in both both of these movies the idea of purgatory the idea of somebody who's dead and and only kind of vaguely realizes it but they're stuck between life and death and maybe permanently and going through you know the trauma of their final moments over and over and over again and the the imagery that there is that 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 atonal score that uh, the use of the elephants again he's got the elephant imagery in the second one is mostly just sort of uh oral it's in it's the it's in the the grunts and and roars of of a dying elephant <laughs> which get louder and louder throughout and that is uh you know, that just kind of sneaks up on you while you're watching the movie just what you're hearing and uh all the way up until again it just it takes you through some of those scenes that you saw in the first in the first movie but from the other perspective and that is haunting mm-hmm. to say the least well and i'm gonna look at, i'll look at it like music for like this movie can be made in the U.S. even more so than Side A could. You know, this is like, and and it's one of those things where like if like Lou Reed did it, I'd say it's stupid. But if King Crimson did it, I th- think it's awesome. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's so like you just there's nothing traditional about this at all. You just kind of figure out what you said. You know, without having you know they don't really tell you anything. They don't tell you it's no. purgatory. It, it, it it's not i mean you never look at a clear screen once in this movie there's always i mean it's clearly through a haze through a lens through a through the dead you know what what uh gonzalo is that who's name gonzalo gonzalo uh, calzada what his vision of you know purgatory is it, it's what it looks like and it, it is so creative and artistic and uh because I'm in love with the first one, I'm in love with the second one. At the same time, if Terrence Malick did it, I'd say it was shit. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I loved this. I thought it was fantastic and just interesting and uh, such an art. I don't know. I just I love the artistic ideas behind it. Uh, I'm just so impressed on every possible level with this movie. 
Yeah, uh, it's a movie that that lets you you know, lets your mind wander within it because uh, you know it's this old guy is like like by himself a lot of the time and you know you, you're experiencing this visually and orally everything that he experiences and your mind just sort of wanders through there and and gets you know the, visually and and vocally what the what the cues are to what we're looking at there are a couple of really I don't want to they're not even they're not even shocks or surprises it just they sort of these things that sort of occur to you and other movies like I think Shyamalan if he tried to do something like this he'd make something about the you know the revelations about his family uh more aha see look we tricked you shit like that and this guy's not trying to do that he, he kind of tips his hand and, and lets you in on, the, on what you're seeing pretty early on and when the reveal of one of the characters fates comes it's it's not shocking it's just sort of whoa <laughs> it just kind of washes over you for a moment and just again it underlines the idea of how these experiences are these experiences for him on his last day are so visceral and so real to him even if nobody else can see them and I mean, I almost wish this movie came out 30 years ago, 25, 40 years ago, because being in such a disposable era, <laughs> I don't yeah. know that how, how people discover this movie. But this is, I mean, the way I looked at these two movies is like when we, we go look at an old classic from the 30s or something like that. And it's just like, holy shit, they could never make this today. Not only could they never make this, they took that and they bastardized it. You know, they just ruined it. Uh, with every idea they've done after this, this movie deserves to be seen and talked about. Because I mean, I'm, right now I'm having more. It's I'm having a lot of fun at, in this very moment talking about it again. Because you're probably the last person I get to talk about this with. <laughs> uh, because I mean, I don't know who I can show this to. Right? You know, exactly. Maybe yeah. Josh, but you know, I yeah. don't see Josh as much as I used to, and. Uh, so you know i suppose cousin jeff might be able to get into something like this There's a handful of people some listeners of the show but you know it, but it's such an experience and i i like i wove in and out of it and i it never like a great hollywood movie you know an ari aster or whatever would pull you in and you just get stuck this one i just kind of floated around i would come out of it and be like God, this must really be hard to film for pepe you know and no matter where i'm at it was just you know I'm never, he just had me, he, he just never let me settle down. And that, uh, that experience alone makes for a pretty fascinating movie. At the same time, I think a lot of people would go into this and just be like, never be able to just, you know, put their phone down enough to get into it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's a, unless, yeah, well, you can't put your, you can't have your phone much at all in a, in a foreign film with the, with subtitles. Right. <laughs> this is a subtitled movie and, and immediately just people go i can't i can't read a movie <sighs> yeah that's and oh yeah i'm glad i didn't even try to i mean this was i set aside thursday and friday night i'm like what a side a thursday side b friday i wish i would have done them both the same night but i started too late my wife didn't get into side b as much and i get it i mean yeah uh it was more of a it was just a time thing, but I don't know. I, I'm, this was a lot of fun and I, I will not be forgetting about this movie anytime soon. Come December when you have it on your list and I forgot to have it on mine. You're like, Hey, you went. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, this is amazing. I, 
I'm glad we watched it, and I, I recommend everybody who listens to the show. You're the type of people that would like a movie like this, uh, so give it a shot. I'm curious your opinions, and if you want to come back and talk about it, <laughs> let us know because yeah, I would happily do it again. Post it on our Facebook page. We'll do a special uh, listeners version of the show where you guys can comment and uh, talk about the movie too. That way, we can spread this movie around to more people <laughs> as best we can. <laughs> All right, The King's Daughter. The King's Daughter is a a silly adventure romance, the kind of movie that they don't really make anymore, which you're kind of surprised to see a movie like this actually get made, a mid-budget romantic adventure uh, set in uh, France in the time of King Louis XIV, played by Pierce Brosnan, who uh, had a daughter that uh, he wasn't necessarily fully aware of, played by Kaya Scolidario. She was taken to a, a... convent or born in a convent her mother died there and the king never really knew that his wife was pregnant and that uh, he only knows only knew that she died eventually he was told about his daughter and eventually decides to bring her to versailles where she'll be where he kind of vet her and try to figure out who she is before telling her that she's his daughter uh, along the way, he's uh, also trying to figure out a way to live forever. So he's got a doctor played by Pablo Schreiber who's come up with this idea that if we uh, kill a mermaid on a on the night of the full on the night of the full moon or the whatever the an eclipse, and we cut out the mermaid's heart, uh, you can live forever. That's the idea, anyway. Uh, they capture this mermaid played by Fan Bingbing and bring her back to Versailles and put her under this. Uh, under a fountain and keep her in water that and uh, her song draws Caius Scolidario's character to her because Caius Scolidario's character is a musician and there she meets Benjamin Walker who's uh, the guy who captured the, the the mermaid and he's also like a seafaring guy he likes to be on his ship and he's kind of out of place in, in Versailles completely and they begin to fall in love and it's actually a really kind of wonderful family romance adventure this is a fun movie i think uh, a lot of people hate this movie which i don't understand i this is this is not a movie that that is very hateable to me it's it's very competent it's uh kind of entertaining it's kind of romantic it's the kind of it's not this typical thing that you see all the time anymore uh it used to be maybe back in the 90s you'd see a couple movies like this a year but uh, we don't see movies like this very often anymore so it kind of felt fresh to me i also liked the fact that uh pierce brosnan and william hurt have a lot of time together they are uh william hurt uh is uh, is you know his go-to guide to talk about religion and they have wonderful conversations and pierce brosnan and william hurt are a couple of old pros who are having a great time playing off of each other Kaya Scolidario is beautiful and compelling and sweet, and she develops a friendship with the mermaid that's very fun. And I don't know. I don't know why people hate this so much. It's it's silly. It's it's disposable fun. It's you know it's candy colored, and uh, I really it goes down like a nice piece of candy. Yeah, I <clears throat> I didn't get to watch it. I'm wondering if one because it's a movie you might have seen in the '90s. We're just like, oh, we're better than that now. This is probably that aspect. There's the, I don't know how many kids want to watch a French movie, you know, a movie that takes place in France versus America, <laughs> even though yeah, a lot yeah, of the king, it's not, princess it's not in French though. I know, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Get him to even hit play is what I'm, yeah. Uh, but at the same time of Disney, all their Kings and Queen movies, those aren't in America because there aren't Kings and Queens here. <laughs> so princesses aren't in America. <laughs> So <clears throat> you put the Disney label on this. I bet it, I bet huge. It, it, three, four more million dollars on this movie. 
guaranteed. Because you go, oh, it's Disney. I'll take the kids to see that. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> 15, 20 years ago, this is a movie that probably makes, was her name Kaya Scudelario? Scudelario, yeah. I mean, this yeah. is something you could have seen Amy Adams in. You know, she was in similar movies like this that made her a breakout star. Uh, you know, an actor like like that could easily, you know, this is the star making type of movie, and but it's a disposable era. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our classic, The King's Speech. Yes, uh, The King's Speech. Uh, this one stars Colin Firth as uh, King George the Sixth, or he'll be King George the Sixth eventually. Uh, but uh, something that's holding him back as a member of the royal family at the time is that he has a speech impediment. He stammers. He has a difficulty finding his voice, uh, which uh, plays out as he uh, get, gets voice lessons from uh, an actor played by Jeffrey Rush, who uh, has a practice where he's not a doctor he just has kind of come up with some very unique ways to teach people to find their voice and when you describe it as a movie where somebody is trying to find their voice building up to a speech yes that can sound kind of cheesy <laughs> but i didn't find this movie necessarily cheesy i think it's a crowd pleaser it's a it's a real cr- cl- crowd pleaser it's got a very easy way of making people happy it's a very easy it's a consensus building kind of movie where it's easy to like colin firth is easy to like jeffrey rush is easy to like helena bottom carner is each easy to like the direction is you know very professional tom hooper is a pretty uh, pretty great director uh he he takes a lot of chances and he makes smart choices and then he doesn't when he makes a movie like cats but nevertheless <laughs> he makes all the wrong choices there but this is one where he's, he's not dealing with the you know CGI cat butts. Uh, he's he's telling a very straightforward story and doing it very well to the point where like I genuinely was compelled by this movie and compelled by the character of, of King George, even as I I find the idea of the royal family to be very very silly. Uh, the fact that it's lasted as long as it has is very odd to me. It's not something I'll ever understand. Uh, having a king and a queen that people look to for leadership is weird to me. But then look at our leaders. I mean, we look to them for right. leadership and what do we got? So, I mean, uh, maybe they're on to something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but to make that character compelling instead of just an asshole or just some rich you know, idiot uh, is pretty good. And the fact that you know, they turn you uh, against you know Guy Pierce, who's having a good time, you know, he's like a fun guy who's having, who's, Having experiencing true love to the point where he gives up his uh, gives up being the king so he can be with this American woman. Uh, that seems like a, he would be kind of the guy that Americans would get behind. <laughs> and, and yet, this movie this movie does make you you care more about the guy who's actually going to lead people against Hitler. Which I guess that's when you have a guy going up against Hitler, it's kind of easy to root for him. I guess in that way. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> but i was like even the, even though there's a scene where he meets where, where king george or, or his character birdie he before he becomes king he meets wallace simpson and even i was like like no you're not supposed to do that in, in a king's house that's ridiculous get those partiers out of there get the, <laughs> pick, up, pick up after yourself it's a mess you're supposed to be you're supposed to be the king they're like why do i think this <laughs> why do i care about this 
and you had seen this when it first came out, obviously, because yeah. you're a film critic. Uh, I had a really weird experience with this. One, I hadn't seen it, so I'm seeing it for the first time. Two, I'd watched the Nocturna movies before this. So, you know, this is an easy crowd pleaser movie that felt like homework because I didn't want to watch it, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and I remember when we watched City Slickers, we were like, that's pretty good. And then by the time the end of the conversation, we're like, yeah, but it's just about a bunch of white guys and this is about a bunch of rich white people. And it kind of made me feel like, yeah, I guess it is. And I don't feel bad yeah. about that, but it's just like, right. I get why people, it's, you know, we need more diversity and blah, 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 blah. Uh, this, I just, it was kind of, because it was a crowd pleaser, it felt like homework. It just felt like, you know, I wanted something more challenging. Uh, everything you said is absolutely true. Uh, I just had a hard time caring because I just watched a complete work of art. And here I just watched a solid movie that was put together competently. (laughs) That was really smart and good, but uh, it wasn't a work of art by any stretch of the imagination. It was just a. I mean, no, I guess I'd, all movies are, but you know what I mean. Like, right? Nocturna is something, you know, something in and of its own. You know, you can't compare it to anything else. The movie I compared it to was nothing like the movie we watched. It was just more about the experience. <laughs> right. This one was just kind of a, one I knew where it was going to go and what was going to happen. So you just had to sit and wait, uh, and so it was just hard to give myself over to the movie if that makes any sense but oh yeah i don't I get disagree it. with anything you said <laughs> just a weird way to watch it is all <laughs> we're just weird too because one yeah, of the things no. i most like that i'm most uh that i have no confidence in is my voice i hate the way i, I hate it i you know i have like a mini lisp that pops up it makes you know saying certain letters into a microphone accentuates that so and then i gotta go and edit and put all this out so i gotta listen to it again so i mean i'm already dealing with that struggle and you would think i could appreciate this movie for that but no this nina nocturna ruined everything for me with this kind of a midsummer issue or who knows i might hate the next three or four weeks of doing this podcast (laughs) 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 until tarantino makes the movie and saves it uh we'll see how that plays out This is one of those easy consensus builders. And it's right. why the reason this movie won Best Picture that year is because it's the easiest one to like. It's not, it's one where everybody can just go, you know what? I, I like that one. And, and everybody does that. Like, yeah, I like that one. And then a large group votes for it because it's the consensus choice, you know? And it, it again, <laughs> it's just so, it's so wonderfully competent uh, in right. that way. Right. There's always two or three movies that are really great the same year. And they're just like, but they're, they, you know, they cause a conflict. People either love it or hate it. And this sweeps right in there. This, you know, Green Book, Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> Which I, I weirdly enough, like, weirdly enough, West Side Story fits that. <laughs> right. Well, even Belfast does, doesn't it? Yeah, except Belfast too. Belfast is is the same way, like a very easy to watch consensus builder. Now, usually though, you don't have two easy to watch consensus builders going against each other. Usually, it's like Pulp Fiction, and you know, that was I guess a weird comparison. Forrest Gump and Shawshank Redemption are consensus builders. So never mind, forget everything I just said. (laughs) 
you know, it's it's funny. Yeah, the, the way this reflects like the 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 Oscars and kind of the the flaw, the fabulous, the, the flaw at the, at the heart of the Oscars is this movie. Uh, it's a perfect example. This, the artist, you know, Green Book, uh, all, all of them are. Uh, I don't even want to call Green Book competent anymore. I hate it so much. But, but when uh, we reviewed it, you liked it. That's what's I frustrating. Know. Is <laughs> it is frustrating. The but history. then I watched it again, and it's like, oh, the, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, that's the we do. I'm the same way. There's several movies like that where it's just like I like it right now, but I see where this is going. <laughs> Come talk to me in five years. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> But it is it's, nice uh, to get away from this one a little bit. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with this movie. I just, the week I watched yeah. it wasn't the week to watch it. <laughs> so. yeah, another good example. I, I love La La Land. I will always love La La Land. La La Land is, a, is not a best picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm glad it didn't win. Moonlight is a movie that is, is so rare that it's one of those movies that is just so brilliant that it, was undeniable it was a work of art that was just so completely undeniably brilliant that even the academy had to pick it right <laughs> and they tried even as they tried not to literally tried not to on the stage yeah uh yeah that was i mean i like La, what i think that was more for for me liking la la land like that was about what it it opened me up to a movie I'm not normally into, and I think that's what Josh liked about it too. Is more so than which gave it more credit than it necessarily deserved, if that makes sense. Uh, I still love Arrival though; that was fucking amazing. But yeah. that I mean, at that point, you're just splitting straws as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Moonlight's a work of art as well. Yeah. Uh, did you watch Love Crimes from 1992? No, me either. I didn't get around to it. <laughs> it's okay. It's still January. Uh, next week we've got several movies we probably won't watch all of them but I'll read them off anyway I'm Not In Love The Great Postal Heist Compartment Number 6 You Won't Be Alone Clean Serrano They Them Us Cyr- Say it again sorry Cyrano Cyrano They Them Us Charlie XCX Alone Together I'm assuming that's some sort of documentary yeah <clears throat> Uh, we haven't picked a classic yet. 1992, Hurricane Smith, Into the Sun, Shining Through, and Voyager came out. Uh, but we will get back to you on a classic. Uh, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash criticspod to help support the podcast. Uh, that's the best way to do it. If you want some of our public merch, head over to IHateCritics.net and click on the public link. Otherwise, I will pull up Flickchart and we can do that for a while. Uh, say that again you broke up there for a second looks like you're broadcasting from heaven i know <laughs> I, like yeah i definitely have the lights around me then youtube um, youtube fans will have fun with that yeah i'm already pale as it is and you got this light behind <laughs> me my wife hates blackout curtains so <laughs> all right sleepers or adaptation adaptation Agreed, hundred percent. Family Guy does that count as a movie? No. Billy Madison, Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday. I actually, agree with you on that one. Speed or the main event? Speed. I agree. Funny people, Bill and Ted. 
Uh, uh, I think that movie's underrated. You cut out again. Did you say funny people? Yeah. I agree. A little over long. I think Apatow can work on his editing, but I, I think it's a pretty good movie. The Fog of War in Society. I've never seen In Society. Fog of War Happiness. I've never seen either of these, so... Uh, let's see. Which one has the bigger monster in it? <laughs> Hard to say. Uh, Fog of War. What's Fog of War about? It's about uh, William McNamara, the uh, Secretary of Defense during Vietnam. What's Happiness about? <laughs> happiness is about pedophiles. <laughs> okay, then. All right. <laughs> Sneak- it's about more than that, but that's right. the one that people remember about it. Sneaker Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes. I agree. A, a weirdly Sne- underrated movie. Sneakers is kind of a boomer movie. Yeah. Attack of the Block, Dracula. Attack the Block. Yeah. Ready Player One, Lucky Number Slevin. Lucky Number Slevin. Love that movie. Bridesmaids Species. Bridesmaids. Malcolm X, dude, where's my car? (laughs) (laughs) It's Malcolm X, obviously. I'm sure Spike Lee was looking forward to that comparison someday. (laughs) Angels in the Outfield, the Polar Express. Uh, 94 Angels in the Outfield. they're, They're both garbage. What did you prefer? Uh... Just for the technical aspect of it, I'll go Polar Express. But I, I agree. I don't like either movie. Mother the Little Mermaid. That's the version of Mother I've never seen. Oh. Well, that's right. That came out when we were doing the podcast. The Karate Kid Little Mermaid. Karate Kid. Yeah, though I love Little Mermaid. But Karate Kid brings me back even younger. The Great Gatsby Red. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which way are you leaning in? I mean, I'm sure Great Gatsby is better. I'd probably watch Red if I had to watch one. I probably wouldn't. If I didn't have to watch either one, I probably wouldn't. Uh, yeah, they're just, I mean, I, Great Gatsby is deeply flawed, gorgeous looking. You know, I, I love DiCaprio and just aspects of it are so good. Uh, Red is very entertaining. I Red, I guess. Yeah, I think because Gatsby's not good enough outside of yeah. the, you know, it's just really entertaining. Van Wilder or Milk? Milk. <laughs> it's close, though. It's close. See, I'm leaning Van Wilder, and that's it drives me nuts because Milk's really good, but I, I'm not flip for I it. get it. Like, I watch that movie a lot. I mean, Milk is not a movie I ever want to see again, but milk wins but and i'm not upset about that but I, ryan reynolds that was kind of his introduction for me <clears throat> and kamal nujari isn't or not is that who it is no uh cal Penn, right no what is his name who is this the uh who cares dave splash I splash it's uh escape from alcatraz let the right one in let the right one in easily 
Rocky the Searchers. Rocky. Could have gone the other way if you wanted to. I appreciate it, though. Uh, have you seen this Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla no. too? Okay, looks awesome though. <laughs> Frost Nixon reality bites. I do love reality bites, but Frost Nixon is uh, is awesome. What a piece of work! Just a amazing, amazing acting. Yeah, I got to pick Frost Nixon. Yeah, I like inherently want to go with Gen X over whatever else, but I get it. The Awakening, the Tree of Life. The Tree of Life. I haven't seen The Awakening, so you can win. Adam's Family, a cartoon. Adam's Family or Alien? <sighs> I honestly struggle with this because I think the Adam's Family is so charming and I don't love Alien. I don't know where I'm stuck again. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen Adam's Family since 91. Yeah. Uh, Alien, uh, man, that experience of watching one and two with Josh and his then girlfriend at the time was not a good one. Because <laughs> my memories of Alien and Aliens was way better. Yeah. Uh, Alien is my favorite of the two. I think everybody else would go with Aliens. Uh, okay, let's just flip a coin. That alone is annoying enough for Josh. (laughs) Alien wins the coin flip. Lots of lots of people very upset about that. (laughs) Lots of people either are just holding on to nostalgia or haven't watched the movie in thirty years. Meet the Robinsons, the unknown. I see the unknown. Meet the Robinsons Double Indemnity. It's Double double Indemnity. If I can't say that word. Yeah, I just mumbled through it. (laughs) Apollo 13 Octopussy. Apollo 13. Moonlight Quantum of Solace. Oh, they heard us talking about it. Uh, (laughs) The machines heard us. It's Moonlight, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. The Rocketeer, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Rocketeer is just boring. Yeah. Changeling, A Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange, but I I have a soft spot for Changeling. Yeah, me too. Leaving Las Vegas, Stand By Me. Leaving Las Vegas. And I also just feel like inherently I have to pick A Clockwork Orange, even though I don't know. Like someday we'll have to make that a classic again (laughs) because we've been avoiding it on purpose. We like All right, well, so next much. week, then. Oh, next week it is? <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, wa- Apropos of nothing. <laughs> Maybe Malcolm McDowell. No, I'm not going to say it out loud. Uh, wanted babe. Oh, babe. That is, like, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm avoiding saying joke because I don't want to be offensive, but I'm not upset about it. <laughs> you know, that's like three years ago, I probably would have made the joke about what I was about to say. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It's I don't even know why I said that out loud. Nightcrawler, Spider-Man Three. Nightcrawler. Twenty-one. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. They both suck. <laughs> I think. I think. I think Bill and Ted sucks a little less. I actually agree with you on that. 
Big Trouble Little China. Oh, come on, TV movies. Big Trouble Little China, The Others. That is so weird. Uh, the Others, yeah. Uh, the, it, I just yeah, feel like we're pissing off another, some more, <laughs> you know, young Gen Xers, you know, old millennials, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Halloween 2018 Braveheart. Uh, I have to vote for Braveheart. <laughs> Another. I mean, part of the problem, I think, is that that's just such a crowd pleaser, too. It's so easy to, you know, it's in hindsight. I loved it as a kid, but I was also a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I as an adult. Other than the one time I made it a classic. Four Weddings and a Funeral, The Last Boy Scout. Four Weddings and a Funeral. The Count of Monte Cristo, Jarhead. Jarhead. Saw two cats and dogs. Is that a movie? It's a movie, all right. Saw two by a lot. Trading Places Evolution. That is actually kind of a tough one for me. I mean, I know people, in, you know, your instinct is probably to jump right to Trading Places, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed Evolution on a weird, in a weird way. Uh, Duchovny has rarely had that much fun on screen. Like you can tell he's just really enjoying himself. And that is such a rarity in his career where he just seems kind of sleepy and everything else that he does, even the X-Files, he can seem kind of sleepy to me. He just has so much fun in that movie. At trading places, it's, it's more memorable, but I, I, I have a really soft spot for evolution. I do. I've never seen it. I need to watch it. That's funny. The Hobbit, the Desolute, Desolation of Smog, Ronin. Oh, again, just movies I don't care about. Like, I don't care about either of these movies in any way. And there's no um, way I'd watch either one of them. I guess if you put a gun to my head, I'd put Ronin on. Shorter. Yeah. Yeah. That would be the but main thing. Ronin's, I mean, I've said it before on the podcast, the first movie I've decided I had to go to the bathroom, go pee during the movie, so I got up and left. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. Uh, the Hunger Games, Popeye. Hunger Games. Braveheart, My Best Friend's Wedding. My Best Friend's Wedding. Come on. Braveheart, A Pretty Woman. <laughs> I'm flipping. Fair enough. I win. <laughs> uh, in Bruges, Red Dragon. In Bruges. More people need to see In Bruges. That's a great movie. Three Amigos, Death Proof. Death Proof. Valkyrie, Vice Versa. Uh, yeah, Valkyrie. Valkyrie. All right. Blast from the Past, Batman and Robin. Which is Blast from the Past. <laughs> Say which Alicia Silverstone movie do you like more? Rambo Part Two, Changeland. I've not seen Changeland. Good. I would pick it over Rambo Two. I love Rambo <laughs> Two. Nacho Libre or Rambo Two? Last one. Flip the decide. coin. Flip the coin. <laughs> Come on, God. God. <laughs> Nacho Libre wins. All right. Talk to you guys next week. Yeah. <laughs>